And this morning we're going to turn in the Word of God to the Epistle of Jude. to read the first three verses of this book and we trust the Lord will bless us as we do Jude verses 1 through 3 Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We're going to end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless us. This morning we're taking the first two verses as our text. And I want to speak to you on what I am calling the golden trio. Before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to bless his word. Our Father, now we would pray that you will allow the word of God to do that in our hearts, which it is meant to do, that for which you sent it forth, that it would deliver us from ourselves, that it would lead us to our God, that it would be that which is not only food for our souls, but it would be that which corrects us in our thinking and in our hearts. Oh, Lord, let the word of God be that which is used of the Spirit of God in us today, that we might truly have the mind of Christ our Savior, which for us is not only a privilege indeed, but a pleasure completely. Lord, bless us and meet with us, we would ask. Help me as I serve and I pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I will begin this morning by mentioning that the words that we are, have read were written of the Holy Spirit by the hand of Jude, which is a shortened form of the name Judah, who was the earthly brother of the Lord Jesus. Jude mentions his name only as the brother of James. And his relationship he emphasizes right from the start to the Lord was that of his servant. Certainly, this may commend the humility of the writer and show an unwillingness to claim some position that was not at all appropriate. Both James and Jude, or Judas, it is sometimes rendered, are mentioned in the recounting of the Lord's brethren in Matthew chapter 13, where the Jews 
asked one another, verse 35, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother, uh, mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas or Jude? And his sisters, are they not all with us? It is thought of some that Jude could have been much younger than the Lord and younger even than James. And some suggest that he may have been brought to saving faith through the influence of James, who was a pillar of the early church. It is a further note that Jude would have been among those that confronted the Lord Jesus about his ministry and heard the Lord's sobering words spoken in condemnation of their unbelief. We read this in John chapter 7, verse 3. It says, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then said Jesus unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The reference to the unbelief and seeming hostility of the Lord's brethren to him could offer a real explanation for the opening greeting by Jude to those that are the beloved of the Lord, for so the word sanctified would describe them. Jude wishes that those to whom he writes would have mercy, peace, and love. And you'd have to say that's a wonderful desire for the people of God. Nothing is so needful and nothing is so sweet as to know these three, not at the hand of another man, but of the hand of the Lord. But what possible reason would there be to wish these three blessings? As we read quickly over the words, we might conclude that they are just simply words of a nice and cordial greeting. Nothing more. Well, maybe we might conclude that there is more than that. Maybe they are a sincere wish of good will generally. Or... Maybe they were a wish of a man that found himself undone by the condemnation of Christ and was brought to the place where above all things he found that he too needed the mercy, peace, and love of the Lord Jesus. Let's not forget that the words are inspired of the Holy Spirit. And there is not one that is offered in mere formality or simple generosity these words that we have here in verse 2 are words to ponder. They are words of reality and truth. They are words of testimony and godly desire. They are to be taken to heart and to mind. Mercy, peace, and love. What a trio. Indeed, they are a golden trio, which makes the possessor rich indeed. 
This morning I want us to think on these three. I want us to think most particularly on this subject. That the graces of Christ, mercy, peace, and love, are not only necessary for joy in the Christian life, but they are vital to any true life of faith. So, I'm going to make some observations with you this morning about this golden trio of blessing as simply as I am able. And we are starting by noting first the obvious. The obvious. Jude wishes these three blessings on those mentioned in verse 1 as the sanctified, the preserved, and the called. Now I won't mention more about these designations other than just a simple point, though much more could be said. The word sanctified merely refers to those who are set aside for holiness or for a holy purpose. Set aside for holiness or for a holy purpose. The priests in the Old Testament were sanctified for the office that they would fulfill. In our thinking, the word sanctified or sanctification means us going by the grace of God through that process of the Holy Spirit that makes us to be more and more like the Lord our God and less and less like the world. Certainly you'd have to say, well, that's the same thing. We are being made more holy, more like Christ for either the need of our heart or for the purpose of our God. Now I emphasize here the word purpose. Set aside for a holy purpose. In other words, there's a predetermined reason for the selecting and distinguishing of these from among men. And of course, that purpose is that we, as those who are believing in Christ, are the inheritance of the Lord Jesus. We are set aside for the Lord Jesus. We are given to Christ. We are his. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. Therefore our God sets us aside to be holy and for a holy purpose. But note it also is said here in this first verse. Again, this is not by just some form that Jude says these words. You are sanctified. Now he says you are preserved. And simply that notes that these that are being written to, these who are in Christ, are kept by the power of God that the purpose of God would be fulfilled. God has purposed to give you to Christ. And your God and my God is fulfilling that purpose by keeping us for Jesus Christ. No man shall pluck you out of my Father's hand. We are kept there safe and secure. We are in the fold of God. He that hath, hath begun a good work in you shall perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. You are preserved of God. And again, I emphasize you don't preserve yourself. We are preserved of God. So much for the notion. Well, I'm not even going to be that kind. So much for the error. That a man can lose that which has been purchased by Christ. 
even his salvation. Well, then you have a third word. It says the word called. Well, that would indicate that there was a sovereign and effectual moving of those hearts to salvation according to the purpose of God. Jude is simply saying, the Lord has set you aside, he has kept you, but now he has effectually worked in your heart in such a way that you are drawn away from yourself and to the Lord in saving faith. That not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, that brings me then to my first subhead, the obvious I want us to think about the obvious recipients. The first thing that is obvious that these mentioned and for whom the golden trio is desired are believers in Christ. Now I want to emphasize at this point, this, Jude is not talking to just some select group of super saints. Some people that have achieved some particular position or have arrived at some spiritual plateau. He's not talking about that. This is a word to all who have had the like ministry of sanctified, purposeful preservation and calling to Jesus Christ. That is every saint. You say, why note this? Why do you note this? Why are you making it, this is a point, this seems not to be quite so necessary. Well, the reason is that each one of us Well, when we look at these blessings, each one of these blessings is so often doubted by us. We as believers doubt these things. We doubt the mercy of God. We doubt the peace of God. We say we don't have it. We don't know it. Where does it come from? And we certainly doubt the love of God. And because of sin or ignorance or coldness of heart, any one of these blessings is seen oftentimes by the believer as a blessing intended for somebody else, but not me. I am too cold in heart. I am too little, have too little knowledge. I have been too given to my own sin. So these things are not for me. Oh, you know, let me just say, as a way of illustrating what I'm saying, the Lord gives us examples in Scripture of people. Though these people were blessed of God, spoken to of the Lord, released of the Lord. The Son made them free, as we read this morning, and yet they doubted. You think about Peter. Peter doubted the Lord's mercy. I don't think that anybody is more obvious to us as one who would have doubted that a denier could be forgiven. And yet Peter obtained the Lord's mercy, didn't he? Quite by the Lord's providential coming to him and allowing him to recant his denial fully, each point for point. Peter doubted the mercy of the Lord. Peter, in fact, at one point, seeing the mercies and the goodness and the fullness of the Lord's blessing, said to the Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter uh, doubted the mercy of God. There was a woman in Luke chapter 7 that doubted the peace of God. This woman came in and was before the Lord and those that were around the Lord at that moment says, does he even know what kind of woman this is? Surely he's got to know what kind of woman this is. 
And you could imagine her there before the Lord questioning within her heart, how can I be at peace when my sin is so open, so known, so awful? She doubted the peace of the Lord. And you say, well, how do you know that? It didn't say that in Scripture. I say that because the answer that the Lord gave to her indicates that. It says in Luke 7, verse 48, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that can that forgiveth sins also. And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. Her heart was not at peace, but the Lord offered that to her as the blessing of the forgiveness of sins. You and I, we doubt it. Can I ever be at peace? Can I ever know the mercy of God? Well, here's the Here's the one that tops them all. The love of God. Do we not doubt that the Lord loves us? Nothing is so doubted as the knowledge that the Lord loves us, I say. Well, you might say within your heart, how can he? I'm such a dead heart. I'm going to give you a bit of an illustration here. Um, and you take it as literal, but apply it to the spiritual too. You know that there was, there was nobody that had as dead a heart as Lazarus, as he was in the grave. You say, well, yes, he was dead. My point, exactly. He was dead. His heart could not have been colder than it was because he was in the grave. And yet, and yet, you read the words of John chapter 11, verse 36, where it says, Then said the Jews, speaking of Christ, Behold how he loved him. The Lord Jesus loved Lazarus. I, and you say, well, you're stepping out there. You're making a, a spiritual... No, I, I think it's the heart that's dead, the heart that's cold, the heart that has to confess before the Lord, I don't love you as I ought That doesn't change the love of Christ. But my point is, we doubt that. And I'm saying to you very plainly, you need mercy. You need peace and the love of the Lord Jesus. And I ask you plainly, ask within yourself, does your heart not tell you so? Does your heart not say to you, honestly, I need the mercy of the Lord. I need the peace of my God. I need to know that Jesus loves me. In fact, I even ask this, can you lift your eyes to heaven and say anything else? When you, look at the, when you lift your heart to the Lord, can you say anything else? But I need you. And I need these blessings. I say the recipients were obvious. And the also, second, I want us to see the obvious reason. We're noticing the obvious. There were obvious recipients, but now there's an obvious reason. The reason that this is mentioned at the very start of this book is straightforward. The desire for the people of God to enjoy this triad of blessings is not because it is the desire of Jude alone, but more than that, these blessings are the desire of Christ for you. In fact, I even say, in some ways, here's an echo of John 14, verse 27. The Lord says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give, but give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You say, why this point well here's the reason we don't think right 
our thinking, most of us, and I would say all of us from time to time, and most of us a good bit of the time, think that we somehow earn these blessings. Oh, not by great deeds, not by great spiritual achievement, but rather we think we earn these blessings of mercy, peace, and love by great self-chastisement. If we whip ourselves enough and cast ourselves into the mire of despondency, then we will prove our sincerity and be in the place to deserve pity and restoration. If I only whip myself enough, maybe the Lord will... Oh, what errant thinking. The problem, child of God, is that you can't whip yourself enough. More than that, honestly, you won't whip yourself as you really deserve. Now, some have tried. You may have tried. And you will find, if you're honest, that this tactic does not work. And is it not true that when you've tried this, that you really end up bitter with the Lord because your self-chastisement didn't fix things? You know, Rome fosters this idea of self-chastisement because it's such a product of natural depravity. It goes in line with the thinking of fallen man so readily. It's very handy for them. And it's easy to manipulate. But the truth is the opposite. This does not come just because of self-repentance, self-chastisement. The opposite is true. Let me just present to you the words of Isaiah chapter 1. You know these words. Chapter 1 of Isaiah, verse 16. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. You say, well, what you're saying then is that there is no need for repentance. You're speaking against that, that I don't need to be sorry? No, I'm not saying that at all. Which leads me then to my second point, which is the obligation. We see the obvious. My second point is the obligation. The obligation is notated by James in chapter 4, in verse 8, where he says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I am not speaking about the need to put away repentance, for that is an act of God. What I am saying is this. It is never the quality of your repentance that gains the smile of God. It is faith in the character of the person and work of the one you repent to. It's not you doing it well. 
It's not you by doing it sufficiently. It's not by you repenting with success that gains for you the mercy and peace and love of God. As I was reading through on my reading schedule this week, I was reading through Second Chronicles chapter 7. And you know these words. Again, these are familiar with you. And you can quote them. Second uh, Chronicles 7 verse 14 and following where the Lord says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their lion. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. So I say this morning this. And I say this is a clear thought. Repentance is not a matter undertaken by the spiritually successful. Repentance is that which is undertaken by failures. Failures that acknowledge they are failures. It is a humble moment when all is open and honest and sin is confessed and as best as is possible through grace the heart turns from sin when that happens then there is the crowning of the golden trio mercy peace and the love of God I rest not in myself I rest not in how well I come to God for I cannot come as I ought I rest only in Jesus Christ I rest in the character of his person I rest in who he is before the throne I rest in that which he has done to wash me clean. My heart simply admits that I am a sinner through and through, and I come to my God. And as best I know, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I turn from my sin, and I embrace what he says in the word by faith. That is what the Lord says in Second Chronicles 7.14. The obligation, then, is to turn from thinking so much of self and start thinking truly of the Lord Jesus. That is the obligation. When that is the truth, we find the mercy, peace, and love of Christ. Now I'm at my third point, and that is, I want us to see the obtainable. The obtainable. I thought about making this point under my first heading. Um because these blessings that we speak of as they are presented in the word would make it obvious that they are obtainable but the point though is a very strong one and needs to be considered standing alone the blessings mentioned by Jude are obtainable they are not hard to have and rejoice over but the point that needs to be understood is this you cannot work up these blessings. You cannot work up these blessings. 
no matter how many ways you twist your heart and mind, you will never find that that which you do within yourself, the conclusions that you come to, your own thinking produces mercy, peace, and love. May I put it to you another way? And this is not going to compliment you. And I, I, I apologize for that. Um, sort of. You and I are empty glasses. You know, you've heard the saying, the difference between a pessimist and an optimist, you know, one half full, one's half empty. No, you're empty. You're all empty. I'm all empty. And we must be filled. We must be filled. The Lord Jesus is full of these wonderful blessings. He is a fountain from which flow living waters. Does he not say so in the book of John? Waters flow from him, waters that cleanse, waters that refresh, waters that satisfy. It almost sounds like those three blessings. Cleansing, sanctification, refreshing, peace, satisfaction, love. What you need, child of God, is found only in the person of the Lord Jesus. The person of the Lord Jesus. And I say, I offer this point for this reason. Do not think that you can simply practice Christianity and find deep soul joy that you read of in the Word. You can't practice anything that will do you any good. The Scripture tells us just the opposite. It says in 1 John, if we walk with him in the light as he walks in the light we have fellowship one with another when you meet with Christ when you personally meet with the Lord Jesus person to person as it will you will find the fullness of God did we not read it to open our service I said take note of this for Paul says that he would grant you according to the riches of, the, of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which, is, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. You walk with Jesus Christ. You meet with the person of Jesus Christ. In the word, in prayer, in your meditations on the things that God brings to you, brings the words of a hymn, brings the words of a verse. As you walk with Jesus Christ, you find that you will know the mercy, the peace, and love of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to put it to you this way. You can't help not having it. You will have that, and you can't be kept from it. When you walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he sheds on our way. Yes. Well, I want us to notice finally the object. The object. Again, we come back to the purpose. For the blessing of mercy, peace, and love. 
And again, we come back to that reading that we just quoted a moment ago. The purpose is that we might know Christ. The purpose of our God is that those who belong to Christ would know the blessings that have been ordained for them since the foundation of the world. Why? Well, again, back to that reading from Ephesians chapter 3, that we would be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Why is it? What's the object? Why is it that Jude would be led by the Spirit of God to say these words to a people that would be needing to contend for the faith against false teachers? The reason that he mentions this is because they need to be strengthened with might in the inner man for the work that they're going to have to do. Now there's a myriad of things that the Lord's going to bring along your path that you need to do. And you're not going to be able to do them knowing the mercy, peace, and love of God unless you are in that place where you're going on with Christ that you're meeting with Him. The second thing that these words would suggest is that Christ would dwell in our hearts. That he would dwell in our hearts in such a way that we would be able to know him and enjoy his love. What's man's chief end? Do you know what man's chief end is? To glorify God. Um, in my old days going through elementary school, if you answer like that, that comes up to a 50% grade. That gets you an F. To glorify God. And what's the next part? And enjoy Him forever. That is your chief end. Does it not sound like if I'm going to enjoy the Lord, I need to know His mercy, His peace, and His love? The answer would be yes. Yes. Therefore, my instruction of my God is that I might do good and walk humbly with my God to love mercy. Yes. And then the third thing, and I close with this, the reason why this is the purpose of God is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That simply means that we would be made like Christ. That we might have the mind of Christ within us. So that we would walk in his image and do the work for his kingdom. Again, these words to begin this short epistle are not just nice words of good wish from Jude to those that read what he says. These are ordained by the Spirit of God as an instruction for us. We, those who are sanctified, those who are preserved, and the called of our God, need to know on an ongoing basis the mercy, the peace, and the love of Jesus Christ. And again, that is obtained by walking with Christ. So, I guess... The conclusion, the question is, how well are you walking with Christ? That's a question for us all. May the Lord help us. May the Lord do his work in us by the spirit that draws us to walk with him. Not just in the things that we know about Christ, 
that we would walk with him personally as we seek for him. What, if we seek for the Lord, what does he say will be the result? You'll find. Yeah. And I will manifest myself to them, he says in John's Gospel. Well, may the Lord help us for his name's sake. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, now we would ask that you will bless the word of God. We pray that you will direct our thinking. We will pray that you will help us. For Father, we have to say there is nothing that is a sweeter or more precious treasure than to have a knowledge of the mercy and the peace and the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, may that be our portion this day. Bless us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. And we pray in his name. Amen.